0: Today on Abounding Grace, following the example of Jesus in serving others. Do you know that serving God is normal for the believer?
1: It is a normal thing. It's not abnormal. It's not reserved just for a few people. God has saved us to serve him, to be used by him, to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit so that our lives might make a difference in someone else's life for his glory. This is amazing grace.
0: We're about to sit in on an argument between the disciples over the question, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? It's interesting how Jesus would respond. And through it all, we discover a valuable lesson on what's really important in life and what a needed reminder for life as we know it in the year 2022. Pastor Ed Taylor has us turn to the 13th chapter of John today on Abounding Grace, where we see Jesus lay down a beautiful example of what a servant should look like.
1: Open your Bibles to two places, would you? We're going to start in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to end up in John chapter 13. Mark chapter 10, and John chapter 13. We start a new section in John. It's the last week of the life of Jesus. In John 13, we begin what is commonly known as the upper room discourse, and the beginning of that night that Jesus is betrayed. John has reserved almost half of his gospel to taking us through the last week to the last season of the life of Jesus Christ, uh, really emphasizing his death and his burial and his resurrection in our lives. That's where the power is. The topic in John 13 is, at least in the first half of John 13, is a Bible study I've entitled A New Kind of Servanthood as Jesus models for us, what true servanthood looks like. You know, in our world today, there are so many books and so many blogs and seminars and conferences on leadership, on practical leadership, even spiritual leadership. It seems as if everyone wants to weigh in and has the secret of what a good leader is or what kind of habits a good leader has or what a leader is supposed to do and what a good leader is not supposed to do. And I I know that there's a place for that. It makes sense. It makes sense because who doesn't want to be a better leader when you have been given that responsibility? Who doesn't want to grow when you have some kind of oversight? Who doesn't want to be a better leader as a parent? Or who doesn't want to be a better leader at work? Or who doesn't want to be a better leader within the congregation, the church family they're a part of? But the problem so many times is that these teaching tools, these books, these seminars, these blogs, are built upon the wisdom of man and the way the world does them, the wisdom of this world. Or even worse, there's a whole new genre of what corporate leadership should look like. And many of you work in a corporation, you lead in a corporation, and a lot of times the training is geared to how they want you to lead, not necessarily the right characteristics that make for a good leader. And an even deeper problem when it comes to our, the context of our congregation is that while there might be a place for that in the world and different styles of leadership within the world, it's not the way of the church. It's not the way the church is to be led. It's not the oversight of the leaders in the church. Because so many churches today are run like corporations rather than the servant-leader standard that Jesus has given us. And it shouldn't surprise us because there was a worldly system of leadership in the time of Jesus that he himself addresses and corrects for his disciples. I ask you to open in Mark chapter 10, and notice with me in verse 42, there was a worldly type of leadership even in the time of Jesus, and he corrects it, as he would want us to grasp the true wisdom of spiritual leadership today. Mark chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus calls them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your, what does your Bible say? Servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. And then he gives the example He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Today in John chapter 13, you're going to see that lived out practically. Jesus not just only giving us the teaching, but also the example. So notice with me in verse 1 of John chapter 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper, verse 2, being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And we'll pause just there for a minute because I don't want you to miss the contrast. The contrast between light and darkness here, the contrast between love and hate. The contrast truly between God and the devil as seen through the life of Jesus, who is fully God in human flesh, and the life of Judas, who has succumbed to the influence of the devil. Already at this time, Judas had made up his mind. Already put into his heart was this decision to betray. At this moment, he's already made the decision. It hasn't happened yet, but there he is sitting at the table, sitting around the table lounging with the disciples he's a betrayer he's a liar and a deceiver and it shouldn't surprise us jesus gave us the teaching on the wheat and the tares allowing the wheat to grow and it says that you know while the while the farmer was sleeping somebody came and sowed tares among the wheat and they grew up together the problem with tares they're kind of like modern day weeds is that they look like wheat they acted like wheat but they weren't wheat and so what do you do they're imposters They have all the outward appearance, but inside there's nothing. It's emptiness. And what did Jesus say? He said, let them grow together. Don't go ruin the whole crop. You let them go together, and at the end, they'll be separated. And it's the same true with Judas. Unfortunately, even today, there's among us, there's in our lives, close to us, those that are very much like Judas. They have evil in their heart, but they look good on the outside. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference, They've already made the decision inside of them to make those decisions. They've already committed to making those decisions that would be hurtful and harmful. Lying and deceiving. And yet, unfortunately, at the current moment, you look at them and go, Oh, great Christians. Look, look what an outward appearance. I mean, if I want to... And, 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 and you find out, wait, wait a minute. You've got the devil working in Judas. But then love is working through Jesus. Because in verse 1, it speaks about how he loved his own... Who were in the world he loved them to the very end because love always triumphs love is the supreme act of God upon the earth today and it triumphs even over people like Judas but what's encouraging to me is that phrase he loved his own you remember his own the disciples the ones that were always fighting about who's going to be the greatest the ones that didn't really understand what Jesus was teaching and would always ask questions and not get it The the ones that would end up betraying him and running away from him in his greatest hour of need, they abandon him. The one Peter that would publicly deny him, not once, not twice, but three times. The ones that are very much like us human, frail, prone to mistakes, as the hymn writer wrote it, and we sing it so eloquently prone to wander those he loved, yeah, to the very end. That supreme, amazing love of God contrasted with Judas all here as the last week of the life of Jesus Christ begins. Notice, as this is happening, verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, verse 5, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. It's an amazing love that Jesus has for you and me. It's not just in word, but in deed. This section, if we allow it, even though we've read it many times, just captures our heart. It's one of those texts that's very difficult to teach in the sense that we're not going to be able to fully capture the reality of God in human flesh taking the position of the lowest, most menial servant slave of the home because of love. That's what's happening here. You know, when in the Middle Eastern culture, it was customary to have water pots at the door when you would walk in And as an act of hospitality, your feet would be washed. Because it was a very dirty, dusty road. As one commentator put it, the roads of Palestine, both unsurfaced and unclean, in dry weather, they were inches deep in dust. In the wet weather, they were liquid mud. And the shoes that ordinary people wore were sandals. They were just sandals. And and think in your mind, sandals, it was just a thin slice of leather on the bottom of your foot that were tied together with straps. They weren't anything fancy. They weren't anything protective. They were just soles head onto the feet by a few straps. They gave little protection against the dust or the mud of the roads. And for that reason, there was always great water pots at the door of a house. And a servant was there with a towel to wash the soiled feet of the guests as they came in. Jesus' little company of servants had no servants. The duties which servants would carry out in wealthier circles, they must have shared among one another. It may well be on the night of this last meal together that they got themselves into such a state of competitive pride that not one of them would accept the duty of seeing that the water and the towels were there to wash the feet of each other as they came in. And yet Jesus mended their omission in the most vivid and dramatic way. He took that lowest place a place that not even both Jew and Gentile, both they both didn't appreciate it. It was a despised place for everyone that was alive at the day. And what does Jesus do? He takes that place. What strikes me, though, in taking that place is verse 3. Verse 3 is such a powerful passage with such great potential in your life and mine. If you like to write in your Bibles, in verse 3, right next to it, you can write SECURITY. Because this is a statement of security. Jesus, the Son of Man, God in human flesh, is so secure in his relationship with the Father that he is able to see a need and fulfill it, not worrying about all of the other trappings of what people will think or what people will care or any of those things. Because why? Number one, he knew where he came from. And number two, he knows where he's going. That same knowledge is going to give you The type of security you need to be the servant of God that he desires. Where you know where you came from. Now, so many of us have testimonies of where we came from. And we look back and we're just like, oh man, I can't believe how messed up I was. I can't believe the kind of things I did. But you know what? The Lord intervened and he saved me. I know where I came from. And it's one thing you don't want to do. You don't want to forget where you came from. You don't want to so neglect your past that you forget what God saved you out. You forget the kind of condition that you were in. You forget the kind of person you were and where you were headed apart from Jesus Christ. Now, of course, with the past, we don't want to look back and dwell there. The past isn't there for us to condemn ourselves, for us to beat ourselves up, but rather just to remember, look what God has done. Look, remember where you were, remember where you were headed, and look how God has rescued your life. When you remember where you came from, man, it gives you great strength to go, you know what? God did work in my life. I was headed in a wrong direction. But when you add to that, not just where you came from, but where you know where you're going, you have a heavenly hope. That this world is not all there is. That this, home, this world is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through. Heaven awaits us. When you remember where you came from and you know where you're going, hey man, things great. I just serve in the Lord. He owns my life. He's promised me eternity. Deliver me from my sinful past. How can you not have that safety and security like nothing? For a person that's safe and secure in the Lord, nothing is below them. Nothing. There isn't anything. but And you think of, oh my God, you think of Jesus Christ. He could have easily, because it says here, you know, he, God, given, God has given him all things into his hand. He had come from God, he's going to God. Like, this is God. All power resides in Jesus Christ. Every power that there is on the planet resides in God there in human flesh. Don't you think he could have said, you know what, why don't you do it, Peter? Our feet are dirty. You do it, Peter. Or John, you haven't done anything in a long time, man. It's time for you to step up. Or how about Judas? I mean, he, Jesus knows Judas is a betrayer. He knows what he's going to do. He could have done one of those things that sometimes you moms do just with your eyes. And you're just like, you know, Judas, you do it. You're going to you wash the feet. Do something good. He doesn't delegate it. He doesn't give it away. What does he do? Secure in the Father with all power available to him. He sees a need and he takes care of it. Even a need that would normally be taken care of of the lowest servant, God, He steps down and steps down and steps down. There's a word for that. It's called humility. The greatest picture of humility is found in Jesus Christ. He didn't do it for the notoriety. He didn't do it for any other reason. I mean, there's also a practical reason, not just in the spiritual reason. Jesus washed their feet. You want to know why? Because they were dirty. It was practical. He saw something, and he took care of it. Of course, he took the practical, as you'll see in a moment, and he used it in a spiritual way, which is often the way of the Lord. He takes the practical of life, and he turns it into a spiritual lesson for us. But what great humility, power under control. You know, foot washing isn't anything new. You can jot it down if you're taking notes. Back in Genesis chapter 18, when Abraham is sitting there and received those guests, he called for water. And as an act of hospitality, he called for water so the feet of this guest could be washed. It's also in First Samuel chapter 25, when messengers are sent to Abigail to tell her that David would like her to be his wife. She, in an act of hospitality, calls for water so that she could wash the feet of the messengers that came to her. It's not anything unusual, very normal in Middle Eastern culture. It was an act of hospitality and a welcoming into the home. But even more than that, Jesus ties foot washing now with practical service. Do you know that serving God is normal for the believer? It is a normal thing. It's not abnormal. It's not reserved just for a few people. God has saved us to serve him, to be used by him, to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit so that our lives might make a difference in someone else's lives for his glory. Let me show you what I mean. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Jesus knows everything the Father has given to him. And yet in his life, he serves. What great love. He serves. And he serves at a low level. Nothing is beneath our Savior. And thus, nothing is beneath us. Notice. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty or freedom. Another word for liberty is freedom. You have freedom. You've been freed from sin, free to live a life that pleases God. You have been called to liberty, but don't let your freedom be used as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Notice chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Serving one another, serving our community, serving, serving in every area of life is normal for the Christian. It's a natural, normal thing for us to give of ourselves freely from the freedom that God has given. It's normal. We're not to use freedom for ourselves. We're to use it for others. It is the history of the believer. Now, I've met many, many people whose master passion in life is not to be a good servant, but rather their master passion in life is for power. And their master passion in life is for control. And they're really into titles. And they're really into authority. And when they get titles or authorities or some sort of power, they love to throw their weight around with the new title and power that they have. I'm certain that among us, many of you have worked for people like this. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands and turn the cameras on you so we can use it against you later. I won't do that. But we've certainly all had bosses where we've walked in and we come into their office and it's pretty clear that they want you to know that they're the boss and you're not. I even worked for a guy once that had his chair a little bit higher than my chair, than anybody that came in, the chair that we would sit in because he would give that signal, I'm in control as he took his coffee pot or his coffee mug that said, I'm the boss. Yes, we know. And wrote his memos. I mean, it's just like, hey, man, I know you're the boss. I know I work for you. It's no big deal. You don't have to make it a big deal. But in his life, his master passion was power. And he loved to use power, not in a way that pleased God. He didn't have a relationship with God whatsoever. And I think when you come into the life of the believer, if God entrusts you with authority, if God entrusts you with some sort of power, whether it be within the church or it be outside of the church, it is not for you to throw it around. It's for you to use it for the glory of God, to serve people. The model of leadership that God gives us in his scriptures is servant leadership. And if there's anyone that should model that the best on the planet Earth today, it should be the believer. It should be the Christian, the one that's filled with the Holy Spirit, where you have your oversight and you take your responsibility, but you don't use it against the people. You use it for those that you're leading for the company that you work in. You see, Jesus had all the power, all the control, any of the titles, any of the authority you might think. And what does he do? He takes the lowest position.
0: Nothing was beneath him, nothing. What a great lesson on servanthood this has been from the ultimate teacher, Jesus himself. So if you want to be great, follow the example of Jesus, the ultimate servant. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and part of a study in John's Gospel. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com or you can listen through our app as well. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Well, Pastor Ed, with all this talk about servanthood, it's probably a good time to mention your podcast called Lead to Serve. What can you tell us about it?
1: Well, you know, one of my passions, Larry, is servant leadership, training, development. When I was in the corporate world, I did a lot of training. I traveled. One of my final responsibilities before I left was to travel around the country and train our teams, whether it was in the particular part of how to do their job or mostly in cooperation with our HR department. I got to go around training uh, men and women on how to serve well, lead well, work well, be a part of a team, team building, I really, really loved that part of my job, even if I didn't love the traveling so much. So now in in the Lord, He really made me to develop those to serve well, lead well, and part of that tools, because I really believe we're a resourcing church, part of the tools that we provide is this new podcast that we call Lead, the number two, Serve, Lead to Serve. And in it, we talk about leadership and servanthood Related to church, of course, but it's applicable to anything you're doing at home, at work, uh, on the playground, uh, you know, with the on the diamond, with the baseball games, football coach, whatever it might be. I I just want to share some of the things I learned, some of the things I'm learning. Sometimes we're working on a new season right now, where I'm going to be interviewing Bob Camp and some other pastors. Bob, by the way, is, is a pastor with 40-plus years, maybe even 50 years of ministry experience. I forget the number, but it's just like talking to a wealth of knowledge, and I want to line up more men uh, to come on our show and talk about the wonderful things of God. So Lead to Serve, It's make sure you use the number two. That's key. Uh, it's Lead to Serve, and, or you can put my name in, and it should pop up. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. All our contact information is there, and we take show ideas, too. So tune in, subscribe, and leave a good review.
0: So look for LEAD, the number two, SERVE, wherever you get your podcasts. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of EM Bounds on Prayer. We know we're to pray, but if you're like many, you don't do it nearly enough. Or when you do pray, it's just a mindless repetition of a phrase you've come to use. Well, this book contains some of E.M. Bound's finest writings on the subject of prayer, and will help you see what a blessing communication with God truly is. I think you'll walk away with some valuable insights that you can apply right away to your prayer time. To donate and order this today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. It's your generosity that helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Making a donation to the ministry is easier than ever through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. Tell a friend about these daily studies, and then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Gospel of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace.